My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and try to find Obadiah. uh, And turn slowly when you get to those little books. This is why God invented bookmarks the next three weeks. Uh, So once you find it, you put your bookmark there and you should be in good shape. So so let's talk about where Obadiah is in the Bible. Um, But if you want to follow along, and if you ever want to follow along with uh, anything that I've got in front of me as far as resources, you can always go to OurSundaySchool.com and click on the Read link. And I've got some links here, so if you want to follow along, you can look at my exact teacher notes that I'm teaching from today, and you can do this before Sunday school even starts. Uh, We've got something new that we're trying at our house this year, and that's for me to be done with the lesson on Friday, so that Saturday is family free time to do whatever, as opposed to finishing stuff up on Saturday, which has worked really well this weekend, because I got to go on a date with my wife yesterday, so winning, yes, absolutely. So, uh, so if you want to follow along with my notes, you can go there. Uh, but where Obadiah is in the Bible, so we've got you know these two major divisions, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we've got the Old Testament sections of the Pentateuch, so this is the law, the history, big chunk there. You've got wisdom literature, this is a lot of poetry. And you've got these, all these prophets kind of shoved at the end. You've got major prophets, uh, and they're called major. Anybody know why they're major? Because they're long, right? That's it. That's pretty much it. They're just long. Uh, They're really wordy. And then the minor prophets, we put them at the end, uh, as did the Jews uh, and the Catholics and the Protestants, and pretty much everybody puts them at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, And they're in rough-ish chronological order, but we'll talk a little bit about that. So if you find one of these major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, uh, just go a couple pages after them and you'll run into Obadiah. Yes, ma'am, Miss Mila. Sure. Uh, you can you can do either. Uh, my preference is to do, do that all on the website, on our uh, on the Facebook, our Sunday School page. That would be helpful. That way we can get some dialogue going. I think that's better-ish. All right, so these are big divisions, just to make sure we know where we are. If you like pretty stuff like this, like I do, I'm a fan of design, like design matters. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Challies.org, Tim Challies, he's a blogger from Canada. Uh, he started doing video blogs lately. If you follow him, uh, he's had some problems with his hands, so you can pray with that. Pray about that. But uh, Old Testament stuff, and you've got this on your page, but the font didn't print really well with the dates. So if you've got the copy in front of you on your handout, and notice there's a staple, so yes, I love staples. Um, <clears throat> one printer this morning didn't want to use staples, so I switched over to the other, and it did, so away we go. But if you think about uh, the Old Testament history uh, and the nation of Israel and you've got King David and Solomon and then the tribes split the nation splits so there's a northern kingdom there's a southern kingdom and if you if you were with us when we studied Haggai you remember we looked at this picture a lot because we talked about pre-exilic exilic and post-exilic uh, prophets and when we, when we say exilic we mean the Babylonian exile this is where the Babylonians came and ravaged and drug the children of Israel off into captivity. Uh, so in, a Jew would think about their history really kind of in 
several different chunks, but this period from the establishing of the kingdom through the end of the prophets, you're going to think about in three different periods, the pre-exilic, the exilic, and the post-exilic. So when, when did these prophets come? When did they speak? How did that all work? And if you look in your Bibles, you'll notice that these prophets that were before the exile are kind of clumped together, and the prophets that are after the exile are kind of clumped together. And that's because that's they, the, they organized them in some rough chronological order. Now, Obadiah is a bit different. You see he's got his own, he's got his own timeline down here, right? And can anybody make out the, the word that's in the dark text there? Edom, right? So this is, is this part of Israel? It's Esau. So is this part of Israel? No. The answer is definitive no. So this is not a prophet sent to the nation of Israel. Just like Jonah and Nahum were sent to Nineveh, which was not part of Israel. These are prophets that came along side in contemporaries with other prophets. Um, you probably can't see this one, but uh, we think Obadiah might have been a contemporary of Elijah. So they may have lived at the same time, which is kind of cool. These things all actually happened. There was a timeline at some point. But this is when we think Obadiah uh, happened. Now, if you read really, really modern literature and commentary, uh, Obadiah gets placed back here after the exile because of some of the language that we read in Obadiah. So I want to ask you if you're familiar with uh, Isaiah chapter 53. Is anybody familiar with Isaiah chapter 53? So what's Isaiah 53 about? <clears throat> it's a messianic prophecy, right? And who's writing Isaiah 53? Isaiah, yes, good. Start off easy with the question. Sorry, I know I threw Edom at you early, and that was probably unfair, so I apologize for that. Uh, so Isaiah's writing Isaiah 53, and somebody quote me a line from Isaiah 53. Cool. All we like sheep have gone astray. Yeah. By what? By his stripes we are healed. Yeah. What tense does that sound like? Okay. What about the healed part? Present? Past? Yeah. Are there anything else in Isaiah 53? He was bruised for our sins. What kind of tense does that sound like? Past tense. Yeah. So in Hebrew, there is stuff that happened in the past. There's stuff that happens in the present. There's stuff that happens in the future. And periodically, the prophets will look at an event as having such certainty that they will actually refer to it as having happened in the past. And they will use the past tense. And it's not anything more complicated than that. But we, as the modern-day reader, have to have enough sense to understand he's talking about Jesus, and he's several hundred years before Jesus. So this is a prophetic look. Now, in your notes there, we talked just for a second. I think there's a question, who wrote Obadiah? Um, Anybody know? We, we think, who wrote it? Ob Obadiah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we start, again, the easy ones and we build. So what is a prophet and how was that message fulfilled? Um, a, a prophet is, boy, it's fidgety today. There we go. Uh, a prophet, here's your first blank, uh, is a mouthpiece who proclaimed the message of God. So this is somebody who just spoke. Um, many times this was a person who called Israel back to the law, but that's not the case here because we're talking to Edom. Uh, and Terry Brown, I, I absolutely, completely, and totally love this picture that he has here. He says, someone who saw the check engine light and delivered a message. 
So have you ever seen the check engine light on in your vehicle? You, you, don't, you haven't? Yes, we have, right? Because you bought one and there, these things exist. And if you ignore it, will you ignore it at your own peril, right? Because maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't go well. Uh, but these are prophets. Prophets are people who see the, check engine, the theological, spiritual check engine light and deliver the message as a result. And this is the picture that I think about whenever I flip to the prophets. Uh, because many times, if you, if you envision the prophet standing uh, foreground, front and center here at the bottom of this picture, the prophet is looking out and they hear the word of the Lord and they don't exactly know when this is going to happen. They just know it's at some point in the future, so they are commanded to speak, and they speak, and if they don't, other parts of the Old Testament show that really bad things happen. Um, so the prophet sees these things as happening, but many times is not exactly sure of the when. So just like when you see the check engine light on a vehicle, you know at, at some point in the future, this issue could cause real problems, but our check engine lights don't come with timers, do they? Like in 36 hours, this will be a real problem for you. Well, that would be fantastic because in 35 and a half hours, I will drive it to Christian Brothers Auto and they will fix it for me, right? This would be very helpful. All right, so here's your next two blank. How was that message fulfilled? Sometimes there was very immediate fulfillment. That's your first one under the how was the message fulfilled? So sometimes it's, he's, he's looking at the trees right here and it, it's about to happen and it happens within minutes, Right? And, and sometimes it's, the second uh, bullet there is future fulfillment. Sometimes it's waves and waves and waves and waves. I mean, Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was actually bruised for our transgressions. So Isaiah was, Isaiah's great, 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 great grandkids didn't even see the prophecy come true. So that could be many, many hundreds of years removed from uh, the process. Now, I'm not going to go over this next slide because you can't see it. Uh, but <clears throat> this is in the notes. If you ever want uh, to head to OurSundaySchool.com, it's a real interesting picture of how all the different prophets, the tribes, the uh, different kings all kind of relate together and gives you a picture of what's going on. Now, the next question I think on your handout is, what is Obadiah about? Is that correct? Great. What's the best way to find out what something's about? To read it, yes. How many of you have read Obadiah this last week? Yay, this is very good. Did you read Obadiah first before looking at anything else? What happens when you read Obadiah first before you look at anything else? You go, what is going on here? <laughs> like, you have haloed me into a war zone and you did not tell me which sides we're, we're on. Right? This is very, very confusing. All right, so I'm going to give you 30 seconds of background before we jump into and actually read the text. Way, way, way before Obadiah lives, there were two sons, and their names were Jacob and Esau. Yes. Did they like each other? No, they did not. Jacob was the father of what nation? Israel. Esau was the father of what nation? Edom. Hey, you have done your homework. See how much better this works when you do homework? It's awesome. It's nasty. So we got uh, Israel and Edom. They warred together. They, um, Edom was on the lookout for any time Israel went into a problematic state and they would do really mean, awful, terrible things. Uh, and that's kind of the background. So these are not friends. They were not BFFs. They did not hang out together. This was really, really, really uh, angry at each other for a long time. And they were angry at each other over what, Miss Sherry? The birthright. Over a bowl of stew. And they're still angry. 
like really passionately angry. Like this, this family problem still is ravaging our world today. So if you, th- you say, oh, the Bible's not relevant, it is absolutely relevant. Now, how do you think the Edomites feel about Obadiah? Not a big fan of Obadiah, because the Edomites do not come out shiny, squeaky clean in Obadiah. They get uh, pretty much cursed in Obadiah. So with that as our background, with the Edomites as the quote-unquote bad guys and Israel as the quote-unquote good guys here, we will go through and read Obadiah. So everybody found Obadiah at this point in your Bibles? All right, I'm reading now the New King James. If you need a New King James, oh, still stewing. Yes! Yes, that is the hashtag for this series. It is absolutely right. Sean McGarvey just sent me a hashtag, still stewing. Oh, that is just so beautiful. All right, so Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though as you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and from understanding from the mountains of Esau. Then your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, Even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity. Nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near, and as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them. 
and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Zarephath shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So who wins in the end? The Lord does. You better believe it. You better believe it. Now, it takes us about four minutes or so to read this book, uh, but it's important to note that Obadiah is the shortest of all the Old Testament books. So if you have not read a book of the Bible ever before, you have now. So there you go. You got one down. But big things come in small packages. All right. So what's our schedule? We're going to look at the first nine verses today. We're going to look at verses 10 through 16 next week, and then verses 17 through 21 uh, at the very end. And if you ask me why I split them up that way, that's because how the New King James has section headings, and it's a very convenient way to divide up thoughts as we go through. So as we have done uh, in other studies, we're going to reap each day, uh, read, explain, apply, and personalize. So we've already read Obadiah. Uh, and let's take a look at, are there any literary or structural observations? You guys love this question, I know. <clears throat> so what do you know that you like physically look at the text? And you may want to do this in your Bibles, because I've got so much stuff on the handout that it kind of, it, it blurs some of the original structure itself. But, but what do you notice? So it starts with just a statement of what's coming, and then what, what next? What kind of writing is it? It's poetry, right? Yeah, it's poetry, okay? Now, remember, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme with sound. It rhymes with meaning or is antithetical in meaning. There's a lot of different literary devices at play here. Uh, but what, it, what else do you notice about the, the actual text itself? Do you notice any literary techniques as you go through? Because Obadiah gives us a master class in Hebrew poetry. He is by far one of the most skilled Hebrew poets of all, which is kind of cool. <clears throat> he does four or five things that are impossible to translate into any other language because of their complexity and their beauty of literary style and form. I can't even describe them because I'd have to read you a 10-page quote from a commentary around how it actually works. It's stunning how he does this. So what do you see? Questions, absolutely. That is your... Uh, third blank under that he uses the various devices of blank but also a capacity for blank rhetorical questions yes it's on the tip of your tongue Darla repetition yes that's the last blank in that section <clears throat> you got three other answers they get harder from here by the way sorry the first one is parallelism. Parallelism. And this is the idea that one line of Hebrew poetry is very similar in meaning to the next, or one line of Hebrew poetry is opposite to the next. Sometimes you can have a, you got to watch me here, you can have a rising in one line and a lowering in the next, or you can have a rising and then a rising again, and then you come slowly down out of that. It's a chiastic structure. It's a very beautiful way to describe Hebrew poetry because you go in and in and in and in and get deeper and then you start slowly coming out and the last line 
is the opposite of the first. The second line is the opposite of the next to last. The third line is the opposite of the third to last. It is extraordinarily complex writing style. And it's also gorgeous. And when you read it, it's got this flow to it. And you go, why does that feel good? Because a master wrote it. Like really, really high quality literature. So the devices of parallelism, also a capacity for imagery. Do you see any imagery here? You see the eagle soaring around and you saw the wars and the battles. And so he said rhetorical questions. Um, the one that's probably a little tougher for us to think about as we read through the Bible, irony is the fourth blank there. Because there's... Uh, <laughs> uh, God's writing has a good, healthy dose of sarcasm in it. Um, and if you ever read the Bible and you go, is that sarcasm? Yep. And we put our high school uh, English teacher hats on and we'd call that irony. Uh, it's just a whole lot of different components of, uh, of literary genres here. So, <clears throat> All right, so let's take a look at uh, what do the words mean. And if you don't, uh, if you're not familiar with this uh, tool, I'm going to walk you through it real quick. So studylight.org slash ISB uh, is an interlinear. And if you've never seen an interlinear before, this is kind of sort of what one looks like. Uh, you've got English text and then you've got Hebrew text. So if I were to uh, click on the word vision, where would vision be in the Hebrew text? Is this the word vision right here? No, why? Vision's over here, Yes because we read Hebrew right to left, as if those squiggly-looking characters weren't confusing enough, right? Let's just turn it all backward. So if you were to go to studylight.org slash ISB and click on this word, what would pop up would be this box, which is really kind of handy, because now I don't have to know Hebrew. I just have to know how to click. And then it will tell me that this is the word kazon. It's not calzone. It's a whole different thing. This is kazon. Uh, it's a noun. And it means a sight or a dream or revelation or an oracle. And it's most commonly translated as vision. It is cool, isn't it? Yes. I think it is very cool. And if you click on that for most of the words in Obadiah, what you end up with is pages 2 and 3 and the very top of 4 in your handout. That's how I construct those. I don't just go download that from somewhere. I click on each word. And what that lets me do is kind of slowly steep through and think about how these words interrelate and how they go back and forth and all sorts of different things. Now, you'll also notice uh, this little number right here, 2377. So somebody tell me what the 2377 is. It's the Strong's number, yes. So uh, a guy named Dr. Strong, uh, 100 and, what was it now? Gee whiz. 120? Well, 120 years ago. How far, what was that? You got an idea? He's dead. Um, <clears throat> but he basically went through and uh, wrote down all of the words in the Old Testament, in the original language, and then gave each one of them a number. Some of you are like, stop it, stop it. It's too early in the morning to do math, yes. Uh, and he did that for the Old Testament words, and he did that for the New Testament words. And thank God somebody put it into a computer program. Because when I first started learning about Strong's numbers, my pastor handed me the Strong's Concordance, and I went, oh, so many numbers. I was a math geek in high school, so when he did this, I was like, that is fantastic. I did not know you could put this many numbers in with the Bible. This is great. And then I realized how complicated it was, because like, there's so many words here and there and back and forth. And one of the things that you find, uh, <sighs> you're killing me. You're killing me. Um, 
So I'll give you an example. So look at the word nations in Obadiah 1.1 and the word nations in the, the uh, verse Obadiah 1.2. That's the same Hebrew word. Nations in 1.1 and nations in 1.2. Um, if you look at Obadiah 3 and 4, you'll see the phrase, uh, bring me down or bring you down. That's the same word. Um, but if you look at... If you look at, here we go. If you look at Obadiah 1.8, and you see the understanding in 1.8, that's the same word as aware in 1.7. So in English, we might get a, oh, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting, we're still within the definition of the word, but in English, it shows up as two different words because it flows better for a poetical style. But in Hebrew, it's actually the same word. And when you look at and study Strong's numbers, you see how they come up over and over again. You pick up on those types of things, which I think is quite helpful. So let's go through and look at the text adding a few 128 years ago. Thank you. Is that when he published it or is that when he died? His first published. Okay. And he, went through, he actually went through a couple different iterations while he was alive. And then when they put it into a computer format, they found a couple errors, which was like shocking to the literary, the biblical literary community that Dr. Strong could have. And when I say a couple, I mean like three. So <laughs> the man was good at what he did. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. It's just it's mind bogglingly just unbelievable. Yes. And he didn't have a computer. This was by hand how he wrote this out. Thank you, Jesus, for those who have gone before and have left us helpful tools to use. This is my view of this. All right, so let's look at uh, Obadiah, and we'll just look at, uh, we'll go through the first nine verses, and we'll kind of expand these out a little bit. So the vision or dream or revelation of Obadiah, his name means servant of Jehovah, thus says, now, did I put in your notes that's the qual perfect? I think I took that out, right? You don't see qual perfect in there anywhere, do you? Good, because we're not talking about Hebrew verbs today. If you thought Greek words, oh, Hebrew is a whole other thing. So we'll talk about Hebrew uh, verbs next week. Thus says the Lord, this is Adonai, uh, God, Yehovah, concerning Edom, which is red. It's the, the word for red. And there's a, there's a play on this word as you go through Obadiah. And Obadiah, we think, is actually mocking Edom in the way that he uses this word. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week as well. We have heard or hear attentively a report or an announcement from the Lord, from uh, Yahweh. Do you see... In your text, that some of you, that, that Lord is all caps or small caps, capital L and then capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the Yod, He, Vah, He, the Tetragrammaton, the, the, the Yahweh word of the Old Testament. This is the holiest name that Israel had for God. Um, and that when the scribes who would make copies of the Old Testament would come across this word, before they would write this word, they would go and they would take a bath. And they would change their clothes, and they would change the quill, and they would change the ink compartment, and then they would write the name of God. <laughs> and then when they got to the end of the page, they would count how many characters were on the page, and how many characters were in each line. And they would validate that against the, the copy that they just had before them. I mean, it was a slow and tedious process. So I don't, I don't want us to rush past something that for hundreds of years of history was treated with extreme care. This is the name of our God. And we actually don't even know how to pronounce it because the scribes were terrified that they would 
pronounce the name of God in vain. So they took the vowel sounds out of the original name of God. All we have is Yod, He, Vah, He, the, the four Hebrew characters. And they put in the vowel sounds of another name for God, and what you end up with is Jehovah. So we don't actually know how to say in Hebrew the name of our God. Lest we say it in vain. Like, that is a significant degree of reverence for the holiness of God. So I don't want us to move too quickly past that. All right, so a messenger or an errand doer, uh, an ambassador has been sent among the nations, among the Gentiles. Uh, notice how this is translated. A flight of locusts is how this is used in the Old Testament. Does this sound like a positive term to you? No. If I wanted to insult you, I would call you a flight of locusts. Okay? The heathen, among the heathen, saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle or for fighting or for war. Behold, I will make you small, either in size or number or importance among the nations. It's the same word we used in verse 1. You shall be greatly despised or disesteemed or disdained to think scorn to be a vile person. The arrogance of your heart has led you astray. It has beguiled you. You who dwell or inhabit or remain in the clefts or the rifts of the rock, the, the craggy places, whose habitation or dwelling, or another way to translate this word is marry, they are in love with, they are married to high places. They love being in high places. Now, this is important because the people of Edom actually inhabited physically high places. This was, if you think about it from a military perspective, the higher ground you hold, the safer you likely are because the enemy has to fight uphill to get to you. And the Edomites lived in mountainous areas, so they were hard to overthrow. So you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who say in your heart, now watch what he does with the literary figures here. They live high, and he, he say in their heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Watch, watch, watch. They're up high. Who will take me down there? I don't live down there. Others live down there. You see this? Don't miss this. This disdain that they have. This, this just flicking off of anybody who's not with them. Verse 4, though you ascend and soar and raise up as high as the eagle, and though your nest, you set your nest or your dwelling room among the stars. So you see, he got high at the eagle. He got higher with the stars. Watch what he does now. From there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Did you see it? They rose up and they came down. This is Hebrew poetry at its best. If thieves or stealers had come to you, if robbers by night... Now you know the difference between a thief and a robber? They both take something from you, but a robber will take it off of your person. It's a different level of engagement here. So a thief's going to sneak in your house and take something. A robber's going to get to you. If thieves had come to you, if robbers had come by night, oh, how will you be cut off or to be dumb or silent? He is insulting them here. To be cut off, to be brought to silence. Would they not have stolen or secretly caught away till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? I mean, even when you harvest, you leave something, Right? He's saying you're worse than people who are robbers and grape gatherers because you left nothing. Verse 6, oh, how Esau shall be searched out. The Hebrew word is Esau, it means hairy 
Why would this word mean hairy? Because Esau was hairy, right? He was a kind of a scruffy kind of guy, right? And Jacob was the not any of that. He was the smooth-skinned, fair-skinned, um, uh, stay-inside kind of guy. Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, or have, have be make a diligent search for, how hidden his treasure, his secret things shall be sought after. And all the men in your confederacy or in your league shall force you to the border. Those that you have aligned with militarily and politically and even geographically to protect, they are going to push you up against your very border. Because Edom relied on its military position and strength and allies. And God says, I'm going to use all of that against you. Behold, America, perhaps there is a warning for us here too. Verse 7, all the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace, at shalom with you, shall deceive you and prevail. They shall overcome against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap. They shall wound you. No one is intelligent. No one is skillful. No one has discretion. No one has understanding. No one is wise to this. He is literally insulting all of their military, political, economic, educational systems and saying nobody in your country is aware of this. Verse 8, I will not in that day, says the Lord, all caps, Jehovah, even destroy or wander away or break loose or fail the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. Remember, they lived up in the mountains. Then your mighty men, your warriors, your giants, your strongest, most valiant men, O Timon. Now, this is a, the name of an Edomite and a region in Edom. So we think it's probably the region that he's talking about here. So your most mighty men shall be dismayed. What's the first word after dismayed? Prostrate. Laid low. This is a, a physical position of defeat and submission. So the mightiest, biggest giants that you have will be laid low. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off or chewed up or failed by slaughter. Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school today? Right, absolutely. The Bible has some very significantly severe words for those that attack and take advantage of his people. So let us learn. So I got to move a little quicker here. So are there any repeated words? There's one that shows up more than just about all the others, and it is you and your. This combination is over and over, 22 times the New King James, you and your shows up. It is pointed, it is direct, it is meant to be in your face, it is meant to get your attention. Because Sean, you, if I say you and you and you and you, you're like, I can't even say it without pointing my finger. It just feels like I should, right? I mean, it's just the way this is read. All right, so application, a couple, couple points of application. Number one, God speaks. He speaks. So what do we do with that? Well, I want us to listen carefully. I apologize for the alliteration here. 
I did it without realizing that I had done it. So I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, number two, God watches. God was not blind to what the Edomites were doing. So God speaks and God watches. So live circumspectly. I wasn't sure if you could spell circumspectly. Um, it's a math term. It's the border of a circle. Um, it's to, to have the whole thing in mind while you are walking through something. So listen carefully. Live circumspectly. Uh, and then God responds. Remember when we said at the end, who, who wins in the end? The Lord wins in the end. He will pronounce judgment. He will be victorious. So God responds, uh, lament contritely. I know, right? What is to lament? To wail, to mourn, and contritely is to do so with a humble attitude. Um, and I don't think we do very much of this. Certainly not over our personal or national sin. Um, and perhaps Obadiah calls us in a way to do um, the same. So next week, we're looking at uh, verses 10 through 16. Now your homework is there, and I've even got some extra credit for you. because Some of you will do like ridiculously wonderful things if I ask you to. Uh, so our homework is to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Read next week's text. It's Obadiah 1, 10 through 16. Talk to somebody about the text. You can do that uh, on the Facebook group or in person. Share something. I've got the link there for you. And then invite a member or non-member. Now, the Bible Project video, you guys have probably seen these before. These are the ones with the, the drawing hand and there's the voiceover and they kind of walk through a book. Is very, very good for Obadiah. I would strongly encourage you to do that. Um, I think it's a four and a half minute video, so it's really, really quick. goes into a lot of really good history about the difference in the war between Israel and Edom and how Edom took advantage and when they did and all sorts of really, really interesting stuff. Um, and then I'll, I'll tell you, repent for the pride in our heart, our family, our church, and our country. Um, I got a feeling there's, it's there. And then I listed the two resources that I am using as I go through uh, Obadiah. Uh, Brian, many of you know, uh, Brian Smith is pursuing his, uh, yes, but it's a, is it a D-Men? Excellent, thank you, very good. His uh, doctor of ministry, the D-Men, and he got a book uh, of suggested resources from his seminary. And he, he said, Jim, I'm going to give you this book, and when you study a book of the Bible, these are the best resources today to go and look and to, to use, to study. And I was like, well, that's just fantastic. You gave candy to a kid. This is wonderful. Uh, so these are two of the ones that I am using, if you want to know where some of these quotes are coming from. Uh, but that is, that is our Sunday school lesson for today. So if you thought you were going to go out feeling just warm and fuzzy, uh, no, there's plenty of repentance for us to do, I think. Uh, but remember, do not mourn because... The Lord wins. The Lord wins. It is a good, good thing. So your weekly update should be on your table there. Um, tells you what's coming up next for the next couple of weeks. Prayer requests, make sure you write down any new requests. Put your name at the bottom. And then uh, thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.